911. What's your emergency? I can't find Captain Nash and his wife's cruise ship. Tonight, 911 comes to ABC. If we're going to make it out of here, we got to work together. Tonight at 9 on ABC, followed by 7 News at 11. This is why you watch 7 News at 5. This breaking story is happening as we speak. To get breaking news from the alert desk. When I know about it, you'll know about it first. So you're always connected with what's happening now, only on 7 News at 5. If scary movies give you dread, keep you up late night in bed, here's a podcast that will help you raise your mind. We'll explain the plot real nicely, then we'll talk about what's frightening so you never have to have a spooky time. It's ruined. Hey everybody, it's Hallie and welcome to Ruined, a podcast where we ruined a horror movie just for you. We've had a series of wonderful guests and all of our wonderful is what we have today. It is both a dear friend of mine and someone who works uh, with the company Hank's Kerchiefs. So if you're out there, you're like, oh, my neck's a little bit cold. Please think of him. Welcome to Ruined. We'll begin. Hello. I am so happy to be here. This feels like the culmination of all my life's work (laughs) (laughs) to be here with you. Um, I have such a distinct memory of us in undergrad driving in, God, I'm trying to think, it was probably your car to Target. Mm -hmm. And it was just sort of like, that was our main social event. Driving past Target, driving past that Krispy Kreme that would turn on the light if the donuts were fresh. Mm -hmm. And um, end of list. Getting getting blackout drunk (laughs) at people's houses, end of list. In that order, we would like to point out. Um, yeah, absolutely. We're, we're not blackout drunk at Krispy Kreme. Um, Never. That, yeah, that's something for later in your life, I think. <laughs> um, but, Will, thank you for joining me. And, of course, um, we uh, like to uh, have our person watch the trailer for the film. And the film we are doing is a personal favorite of mine. It's 2006, Behind the Mask, colon, The Rise of Leslie Vernon. Okay. Now, Will, had you heard of this film before I mentioned it? Never. Mm-hmm. I have never, and I am not sure how it slipped past me because you loved it. I knew you when this came out. It has <laughs> colon in the title. I mean, it really hits all of the— It hits everything. Uh, hits everything. And I will say, and I perhaps should have said this up top, but Will and I are people who w- have watched horror movies together, <laughs> love a horror movie, mostly the kind that you scream and hold your hands in front. I feel like that's a very— like, enjoying it, but also horrified. Would you say that's right? That is 100% accurate, although using the word watched quite loosely right. because my eyes are generally closed when watching a movie with you. Right. I mean, the best way possible. Um, what would you say is your favorite horror movie? Like, what, where do you think you sort of like, oh, if you're interested in something? My favorite movie, and also my favorite horror movie, I think is Jaws. Okay, which, great. Which we know, have not done for the pod. Maybe that's more of a thriller or a, a documentary, but I, I, I don't think it's a documentary. But I could <laughs> be wrong. I have not seen it. But wait, um, you've I never seen it? That, I've never seen Jaws. <gasps> oh my! I guess that could be one that Allison ruins. Now that I'm saying that aloud. Yes, I think that's yeah. Scratch that down. I think we sort of came out of an era, and I don't know whether it's too close to like dinosaurs, but there was something very scary about sharks to me. Mm-hmm. I remember even being in like a swimming pool, terrified of sharks. <laughs> Sort of like how I did not see arachnophobia until adulthood. Oof. Because, and I'm not even afraid of spiders, but the opening scene of arachnophobia where all the spiders fall out of the tree. Yes. It was too much. Yeah, still too um, much. But good to know. 
Um, and also, I just another anecdote about Will. Um, I remember it was because this came out in 2007. I remember you were like, somebody tricked me into seeing a horror movie, and they took you to go see the vamp- Alaskan vampire horror <sighs> movie, 30 Days of Night. Oof. And I believe they told you it was a documentary about Alaska Correct. or something like that, where you, you thought it was a drama or something. 100%. And then slowly realized it is, in fact, a um, vampire movie. Yeah. <laughs> what a delight. The first vampire that crashes through someone's complete bay window and kills them. I was like, this isn't based on reality. <laughs> this isn't a documentary like I assume all films are. Um, but yeah, so back to the trailer. What are your thoughts about the Behind the Mask trailer, Will? Oof. First off, I'm very pleased to see that bright blue smoke fog that was in all early mm-hmm. 2000s trailers. <laughs> it was in like every single one and this one had right. it. So, like, if you saw that in real life, you'd be like, okay, well, the environment is fully collapsed. We have to <laughs> yeah. be hospitalized. Yeah, that was our early our early signs. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think our early signs known. actually came in the 70s and 80s, but we also should have right. known then. <laughs> I love the concept of a mockumentary mm-hmm. about horror because I love yes. the best in shows and mm-hmm. the waiting for Guffman and, and those types of movies. So combining it with horror, I'm fully here mm-hmm. for it. I do not know how I missed this movie, but I'm excited I did. And I, I, I agree because there's something about like horror is much like comedy, uh, something that you once you know enough of it, you get to like enjoy it, it plays to the audience's high intelligence, you know, versus like assuming you don't get it like a mockumentary about horror assumes that you know all the tropes and then you get to play with it. Like, once you sort of know what we're doing, you get to have the fun of it. Um, But before we begin, I was trying to think of what the baseline scary of this movie is. And I guess for me is like, how scary do you find the concept of serial killer, a serial killer wanting to be a legend or like a serial killer having an intentional plan to sort of be known for being a serial killer? Right. That is... Truly terrifying and very mm-hmm. topical. Yes, unfortunately. Because, yes, very unfortunately, because I think that is what pushes a lot of people to do unspeakable things nowadays is for yeah. the notoriety. So it's it, it's Absolutely. a very scary topic. And and I think what's so, and maybe this is a little, I, I don't know if you're allowed to say this, but it's like, what's so sad about that is like, um, there's so many people doing horrible things that, like, I will never remember their names. Right. Like, it, like the <laughs> yes. idea that, like, oh, I'll, they'll remember my name. Honey, I don't... It, look what the past couple... Like, month was. Like, I'm yeah. not going to retain any of that, even if I wanted to. And unfortunately, the only people who really want to retain the names of these people are the people who want to emulate them. Yeah. So it's just a weird echo chamber that this movie makes hilarious fun of. So um, hope you're in the mood for that. Oh, very much. And then before that, would you like to guess the twist? What do you think the twist will be in Behind the Mask, colon, The Rise of Leslie Vernon? Guess the twist. I'm assuming the twist is that it was meant to be a semicolon. And okay, they, there we have it. There we have it. Um, yeah. Uh, my my guess at a twist would be that the woman conducting the interviews or who initiated this entire process is somehow deeply involved. Great. That's my Okay, I absolutely love it. Which the main woman in this I recognized 
from somewhere, and I looked her up, and she is the sister from Home Alone. Oh, how fun. I didn't realize this yet. Angela um, Gothels? Yeah. She's the one that says, you're what the French call les écompentants. Oh, my God. (laughs) And she's great in this. Oh, great. So let us begin by ruining... Behind the Mask, colon, The Rise of Leslie Vernon. We open on, of course, a blonde teen girl. And she takes the trash out from her job at the diner. And we see that she's being watched from the bushes as she uses a brick to prop open the back door and haul the bags to the dumpster. Now, what we see and what she doesn't is there is a man in sort of what I would describe as sort of a turtley mask. So sort of a a green mask with with black eyes and a black frown Mm. staring at her from the undergrowth. She hears a noise. She slowly approaches, peering into the darkness. Suddenly, the door slams. The brick sort of gets rolled out of the way, and she runs to the front of the diner. She's safe. This is where we join up with documentarian Taylor Gentry and her cameraman, Doug, cameraman Doug and Todd, and they are shooting in Glen Echo. At Crystal Lake, a madman named Jason Voorhees has killed dozens over the past three decades, leaving a devastated, deserted community fearful of his next appearance. Jason Voorhees is real, so we know that he has butchered people at at Camp Crystal Lake. Okay. Freddy Krueger is real. He's not supernatural, but we know that he's murdered a bunch of kids on Elm Street. And then Michael Myers also ran amok in Haddonfield. Wow. So we live in an environment where all of this is true, so that it's sort of like, what town is next? Excellent. Love that. Well, not for the people that got butchered, but... Right, unfortunately... (laughs) Not for the good people of Glen Echo, but I think that's a fun uh, universe to set up. Is that, that like everyone knows this kind of thing happens, and it it it's just a matter of time. What small town will it, horror be visited on? So Taylor and her cameraman are in Glen Echo because they received a message that Glen Echo would be the next town torn apart by unrelenting evil. Also, I realize as I'm doing this. I'm going to say Leslie Jordan instead yeah. of Leslie Jordan <laughs> at some point. So if you need to picture Leslie Jordan, Instagram King, um, Will and Gray star, please picture him. Perhaps dressed as a cowboy or something. I was already doing that. Okay, good. Right. Without I, even being I mean, yeah, the, yeah, that's just going on constantly anyway. So. <laughs> um, so here's the story, Will, of the legend of Glen Echo. 20 years ago, at a now-abandoned farm, a boy allegedly possessed by evil was taken from his home by a frenzied mob and thrown over a waterfall to his death. Oh, a waterfall. However, I know, the message that they received says the boy is going to seek revenge on the town that murdered him, and that boy's name is Leslie Vernon. They arrive at the house they were told to go to, and we they sort of creep around looking for him. And then Leslie jumps out laughing hysterically at their shock. He's played by Nathan Bessel, who has a very, like, Jim Carrey in the 90s energy. Right. Like, he's very warm, but, like, kind of goofy and big, which is such a funny choice for a serial killer. Yeah. And he's like, oh, I got you guys. <laughs> oh, sorry. I'm kidding, you know. And so that's immediately throwing them off base. He takes them inside. He shows them his turtles, of course. Of course. And he gives them a tour of the house. We see his bookshelves. There's a lot of what I would call work-related books, <laughs> um, including Grey's Anatomy. And he sits down uh, with inter- Taylor for an interview. And Taylor's like, look, if you're really going to do this, isn't this about terrorizing innocent people? 
And Leslie says, I can't tell you why I do this. It has to come from your understanding of the process. So if you want to know why someone like me would do this, why don't you follow me? Right. And Taylor says, I need the scoop. I'm a, a reporter. I'm a journalist in a horror movie, which makes me have terrible judgment. Yes. And we are off to Leslie's old house. Great. And we're already <laughs> videoing at this point. So they so are everything over- is being shot. Yes. Excellent. So he is, again, unlike I think a lot of serial, active serial killers, a lot, a lot, consenting to sit down for an interview. Yes. And he's going to explain his whole plan. And there, over the course of the film, starts to be this sort of perverse, almost romantic relationship between he, him and Taylor. Mm-hmm. Like, Taylor is so sympathetic, and he is, like, so good at explaining what he's doing. You know it's a terrible idea, and I think that's what's going to make it tricky for you is sort of, like, what would you do and who's going to die is— um, there, this is not a normal horror movie where it's like, well, we would never be in this situation. We would never sit down with a serial killer. But if we were that person, when would we know that things had gone too far? Ooh, I mean, you still haven't figured it out with me, so. Exactly. And luckily, we live on different coasts. Well, not luckily, but <laughs> unfortunately, so it's going to be a lot harder for you to kill me. Yeah, yeah. So Leslie explains, okay, so you know how I was thrown over that waterfall fallen, quote-unquote, drowned? <laughs> So on the anniversary of my death, the local kids kids go to my parents' abandoned farm, and they sleep there overnight as a dare. Oh, no. And this year, 20 years to the day, I'm going to reappear. And he explains, like, you know, the farm's in a trust. Technically, if I came forward, I could claim the land. And Taylor's like, well, then why don't you just do that? And he's like, because I have to be dead for the plan to work, Taylor. Duh. <laughs> and he says, the farm anchors my legend as does the apple orchard, which is sort of a, like a labyrinth uh, and you, as you walk through. So much fog, so much blue light. Yes. And, and as the story goes, until if you till the soil under a harvest moon, the soil will be wet with blood and will be impossible to walk through. And he tells him, if you listen, you could still hear my mother's body swinging in the trees. Oh, no. And they all freeze and listen. He goes, not tonight, though. We have a whole month to plan. <laughs> So the next day, Leslie shows him, like, all the cardio he has to do. Like, you have to make it look like you're walking while everyone else is running their asses off, much like a Michael Myers. So you're, like, you're, you know, you're, you're sustaining a walk, but everyone else is bolting. You have to be in good shape. You have nice. to be at peak health. Very serial killer CrossFit. I, I, I feel exactly. that. Yeah, yeah. Um, Leslie takes him to uh, one of the local high schools and says, like, here's what you do. You find a target group, some jocks. The, the, the girl is key, but we need to have a cast of supporting characters. So we got some hot jocks and then some stoners behind the school smoking. <laughs> They're slower. They can't run as fast. They pad out your numbers. <laughs> Finally, we see this brunette teen who's, and they, what's interesting instead of the term final girl, which I think we all recognize is like oh, yeah. the final girl standing, they use the term survivor girl. Huh. And I'm like, did final girl just become more popular in recent days? Right. But they're using the term survivor girl. And he spots this girl. He's like, that's the survivor girl. For, you know, I, I think, because he could tell that she's a virgin. Oh. And Taylor's like, how would you know that? And Leslie yeah. says, how do the swallows find Capistrano? I just know. <laughs> she's wearing her and, I'm a virgin t-shirt. Right, exactly. But yeah. it's super tight. She has no bra. So who knows, <laughs> you know, mixed signals. Suddenly, this girl looks up and sees Leslie. Leslie's like, do you see how we can sense each other? And she's like, okay, so that's going to be your survivor girl. And uh, Leslie says, no, no, I already have someone picked out. Of course, the blonde for the beginning. And we cut over to the diner, and we see Leslie's final girl. Her name is Kelly Curtis. And we see her. She's once again closing the diner. So Leslie's like, okay, so here's what we're doing. It's called a flyby. It's where the killer is stalking his victim. Sort of like in uh, Scream when Ghostface shows up in the first act but doesn't kill her. You Mm. know, just sort of shows up to scare her. 
And he explains, oh, we saw the brick had jerked out from the door. He's rigged the brick with clear fishing line. So he says, you guys wait and and watch. And he has Taylor pull the fishing line to pull the brick out. It works perfectly, terrifies Kelly. She runs to the front of the diner again. Clever. Afterwards, Taylor and the cameraman are like, wow, like that was kind of cool, you know, to be a part of it. (laughs) Just then, a bearded man walks into the diner. Todd's like, who's that? But Lizzie's like, "I, I don't know, who cares? Later, Taylor and the gang join Leslie in visiting his best friend, Eugene, who lives with his much younger, beautiful wife, Jamie. And Eugene is a former, he's a retired serial killer who has taught Leslie everything he knows. Got it. And they show up and Jamie's like, oh, you know, Eugene's in the tank. You should go get him out. Leslie runs off into the woods with shovels. They dig up Eugene, who has been buried in a sensory deprivation tank Uh, for days. Absolutely not to train for when you have to look dead. Oh, Much like, no. you know, as every famous serial killer, oh, you have to pretend to look dead, and that's how you could leap out. He looks dead as hell, but Leslie wakes him up. <laughs> he was underground for three days. He goes to shower. Jamie serves him all dinner. And Taylor starts to ask Jamie about, like, Eugene's life. You know, like, what was his career? And they get the grill going, and Leslie and Taylor are sort of having, like, a flirty moment. And Eugene looks back in, like, the good old days, the late 60s, when it was more about quantity than quality. Huh. And as he's as he's talking, he's, like, slicing and dicing a pepper until he looks down <laughs> and it looks like a paste. Like, he's cut it so finely. And Eugene is, like, very much about, like, there's so many hacks in the serial killer game. Nobody's doing it like Freddie, Jay, and Mike. They really changed the game and sort of, like, set it up for, like, ooh, is it supernatural? Is it more than just a bunch of killers? Like, anyone could kill somebody, but to create the legend, the myth, is what's important. And Eugene says, Every culture, every civilization from the dawn of man has had its monsters. For good to be pitted against evil, you have to have evil, don't you? And Jamie makes them all little doggy bags. (laughs) And Eugene checks in with Leslie about his plan. Like, so do you have your red herring worked out? Leslie's like, I think so. Kelly spends a lot of time in the library, so I think I'm going to go do it there. But then when Leslie says, like, oh, you know, I think I might, like, our first kill, like, bump off one of her friends. Eugene's like, no, no. A friend is too close. How about the librarian? You know, someone she knows, she sees. And Leslie's like, like, that's a great idea. The librarian lets her stay late sometimes. So they're not close, but they have a relationship. Right. And Taylor outside was like, could you talk more about the red herring? And Leslie's like, oh, it's the first person I'm going to kill. You know, it'll be a scenario that involves Kelly, but only indirectly. Right. So they go to the library. Fortunately, Kelly's very studious, as all virgins are, we know. Yep. And <laughs> Got Leslie nothing else to pulls- do. Exactly. <laughs> what, Stay home? What, Come what are you doing? Leslie pulls out a news clipping with the headline, Drifter Questioned and Released in the Rape of Glen Echo Woman. And it's an article about a man named Daniel Mark Daniel Curtis, who is questioning the rape of Leslie's mother. He is Kelly's great uncle. Got it. Taylor's like, wow, look at the photo. He looks just like her. Leslie says, well, of course he looks like her. That's her. That's just a computer-generated image I made. I made this. She doesn't have a great uncle. At least that's what she knows of. Oh, wow. My my plan is I'm going to plant this to start creating seeds of doubt in her mind about her connection to me. About Kelly's connection to him. To the legend of Leslie... Uh, Vernon and, and the death of the boy. Yeah. This is genius. I love this. And so before they go to the uh, library, Leslie t- talks to Taylor Todd and Doug was like, hey, this is the point of no return. If you come in with me now, you're in this with me. If you if you don't want to, no harm, no fall. Yep. Next thing you know, Doug's going to stay in the van. Leslie, Taylor, and Todd run in the back door of the library. 
And we hear Leslie explaining he has to put the article near Kelly, but he can't force her to read it. It's a matter of uh, circular etiquette. And he sort of drops it near Kelly as she studies. And they film her during the stacks. And Leslie also shows him a fictional microfiche. So when Kelly finds the clip, she'll want to read the whole thing. But they don't have the physical paper because it's so old. She'll ask the librarian. The librarians say, well, it's all in microfiche. They look at the microfiche. She'll read the full story and realize, I'm related to this man. I'm related to this. And the librarian will say something like, oh, that's just an old story, dear. And then Leslie will make his appearance. Wow. And Leslie says, in one of the movies more disgusting lines, it's going to get wet in here tonight. Oh, God. I know. Like, yeah, all right. I mean, yeah, we, we understood. We don't need to say it out loud. So Leslie puts on his mask and has the crew filming from behind the stacks. However, outside Doug, who's in his van, sees a guy pull up, and it's the same bearded man we saw outside Kelly's diner. Oh, right. So they're watching. Kelly finds the clipping, just like Leslie said she would. He goes to the librarian, Mrs. Collingwood, who is Zelda Rubenstein, who plays the psychic in Poltergeist. Yes. Have you seen Poltergeist? I yes. have, and I recognized her. And her voice just in no way matches what she looks like. It's amazing. I love it's it. It's absolutely incredible. Um, and, of course, Mrs. Collingwood said, well, you know, we don't have the full paper, but we have it on microfiche. <laughs> so they look at our microfiche, and they're reading it. And, you know, Mrs. Collingwood says, this is a story, but here's what they say. You know, the, uh, the Leslie's Verdant's parents were a very strange couple. They were kept entirely to themselves. And nine months after her rape by ostensibly Kelly's great uncle, Mrs. Vernon gave birth to a bastard son, Leslie. And as a result of being a bastard son, he was horribly abused by his parents and forced to till the field with only a hand scythe. Oh, no. And then one day, he snaps, murdering his father, burying him, and then hanging his mother in the apple orchard. When his crimes were discovered, the farm people tossed him over Nellis Falls, and they never found his body. And Kelly's like, well, so he could still be alive. And uh, Miss Collingwood has great liars like, no, bodies just don't come back up when it's that cold. Turtles ate everything, even the bones. Turtles. <laughs> the turtles. But don't yeah, there's kind put of a turtle that on the turtles. Movie, That's rude. <laughs> and so Kelly says, wait a minute. If this man raped this woman, this guy's mother— that makes Leslie Vernon my... And Mrs. Collier interrupts her like, don't worry about that. It's just a horrible story. But Leslie Vernon is dead. And of course, Kelly screams. And immediately behind Mrs. Collier, we see Leslie Vernon in all his glory, wearing like filthy farm shirt, filthy overalls, holding a hand scythe with that expressionless green sort of turtley mask. Hated that in the trailer. Hated it. And slashes Mrs. Collier's throat. Oh. However, he raises his weapon, and suddenly the bearded man from the diner runs across the room and screams, Leslie, no more. It ends tonight. And he shoots him, oh. and Leslie's able to duck, but hits him in the shoulder. And Kelly runs to the man. They see Leslie jump on top of the stacks and escape out the window. Outside, Leslie, it turns out he has a bulletproof vest, so he's totally fine. Leslie's like, oh, my God, we got an Ahab. I have an Ahab. And they're, like, so excited. Taylor's like, oh, my God, an Ahab. What's an Ahab? Off to Eugene and Jamie's house. Um, so they watch Todd's footage of the sort of the interaction. They're like, oh, my God, your first Ahab. That's so exciting. And Eugene sees the bearded man and says, I'll be damned. That's Doc Holleran. Huh. Leslie explains, Doc Holleran was a psychiatrist who visited me when I was little. And after I took off, so to speak, uh, Doc Holleran always predicted that I would come back to Glen Echo. Right. And also, for your visual, he is played by Robert England who is Freddy Krueger. Again, oh. a fantastic use of uh, horror movie alums. Love that. 
And so Taylor says, so are you going to go after him? Are going to kill him? He's like, no, no, no. The Ahab I, is perfect because it's a reflection of everything good in society. So he's going to do nothing to stop me. And we will run up against each other in a climactic moment. And Jamie's like, oh, my God, we're so proud of you. This is so exciting. We're, we're saying thing, Ahab, Ahab like Moby Dick. Yes. So we're so Moby like, Dicking so, about. Exactly. So, Got yeah. It. So I guess, like, um, Doc Halloran, Halloran is uh, Ahab and Leslie would be the white whale. Would be the white so whale. He's, Got it. You know, there are there is the tradition of, like, the doctor, you know, sort of yep. like— um, in, uh, Dr. Um, Loomis, sort of like uh, the doctor who stands in the way of a potentially supernatural serial killer. And so this is there. It's like, oh, it's even it's even better for the legend, even better for the story that somebody tried to show up and stop me. Will, the one thing that Leslie told the crew was, whatever you do, at no point are you allowed to talk to Kelly. However, Taylor's not a total monster. So Taylor and Todd go in to see Kelly at the diner. Right. And Todd's like, I cannot express to you how much of this is a terrible idea. We are currently like sort of in cahoots with a serial killer. Yeah. I don't think we should talk to this girl. But Taylor says, I have to know what she's like. So they go in and sit down. But across the diner, they spot Doc Halloran, who, Halloran, who immediately sees they're filming and saw them at the library. Right. And it's like, why are you filming this girl? Taylor says, oh, that's none of your business. We're not filming her. We're just filming the diner. And Doc <laughs> Halloran tells her, he's not who he says he is. His name isn't Leslie Vernon. His name is Leslie Mancuso from Reno, Nevada. <gasps> you have no idea who you're dealing with. And to, Will, I have to ask at this uh, point, if you had that information told you, what would you do? What would you do? I would ask for the check for my coffee yes. and chicken sandwich <laughs> and I would get in my car and leave. Right. And that's and that's the problem with this movie is we would never be in this situation. We would just be at the diner. You know, we would not necessarily be stuck in this situation. Um, I would be eating an egg salad on a toasted everything bagel with the bagel scooped out and be on my fourth cup of coffee. But I think that the reveal that a serial killer has been lying to you is should be a telling, like the fact that you might be surprised by that is suggesting maybe you are not the documentarian for the job. Maybe Correct. you are not the person who should be making this yep. because you have a, you have a level of naivete about this person. And look, is he kind of handsome? Does he kind of have like a vibe? Sure. But that's how they get you. Yeah. That's always, always how you got got in life. That's always how you got got. The savings rock when you find a new way to roll, like sharing the ride to work. Even if you're commuting just a few days a week, Commuter Connections can match you with others who live and work near you. It's easy and free. Plus, you can get cash and other rewards for carpooling, up to $600 a year. Get rolling on a new way to work with Rideshare. Register today at commuterconnections.org or call 1-800-745-RIDE. That's commuterconnections.org. Some restrictions apply. For over 130 years, McCormick has helped you make mom's lasagna to keep her secret recipe alive. Take over taco night, no matter how chaotic your day is. Conquer the bake sale, even if you get to it last minute. And craft the perfect Sunday brunch when it's not even Sunday. Because with McCormick by your side, it's going to be great. Obviously, they're shocked. Kelly arrives. She has a coffee. She's like, what the fuck is going on? Why are you filming? <laughs> and Taylor and Todd bail, but not before Doc Holler and promises them, 
expect to see more of me. Oh, no. They meet Leslie in his van, and he grabs Taylor's arm and says, I told you never to talk to her. So if you want to pack it up and leave, that's fine, but don't ruin my life's work. He says to Taylor, where's the trust? And Taylor says, the trust? Who's Doc Holleran? And who are you? Ever live in Reno, Leslie? And he grabs her by the throat, and he just shoves her against the van. (gasps) And he lets her go. He's like, I'll tell you everything. So, of course, she's once again won over. I, I want to know everything. They go back to Leslie's house, and he spills the tea. He says he never <laughs> lived in Glen Echo. He's not Molly Vernon's son. Oh. Doc Halloran is a shrink who treated him in, in Reno, and he left Reno to come to Glen Echo to commit these murders. Oh, no. And Taylor's like, if he knows you and he knows what you're doing, why doesn't he turn you in? And Leslie says, because I set him up. I filed a restraining order against him. I made him seem like he's a crazy stalker. So if he turns me in, he'll be arrested. I don't think that's how restraining orders work. I, I think yeah. you, he could stay in Reno and call the Glen Echo police. I, I don't, I think you're perfectly allowed to do that. Just shoot an I email. Think, right, exactly. I don't think having a restraining order means you cannot warn someone that someone is potentially about to commit a serial murder. Yeah. I don't think that. Right. Probably crazy. We are meant to believe that he packed up a bag, got on a plane, flew all the way to Glen Echo, and was like, this is my only option. Right. And did it, well, at the time, we didn't even have Airbnb. Staying at a motel? <laughs> oh, no. Not a motel. It's, it, yeah. And also, he, he doesn't have to tell. He could go to the paper. He could tell the documentarians. You know, they could, he could go to the school. He could go to the library. <laughs> he, he Just because he has a, a, a restraining order— Leslie's does not have anything to do with what the information being passed on. Not but even here little. we have it. And even more inexplicable, Taylor is betrayed. She's <laughs> like, you used me. And Leslie's like, how could you even think this is about you? This is my life. So my backstory is fake. So what? The rest of it's true? But they kind of like, like have an emotional moment. And Leslie's like, look, if you can't stay, I understand. And we see that he sees that finally sees that Doug is filming through the crack of the door. He says, turn it off. And they drive off into the night, leaving Leslie behind. At dawn, Leslie sees the van returning. They've decided to come back and finish the documentary. God bless. And Taylor says, this is what I've chosen to do, so let's see it through. So Leslie brings them to the abandoned farmhouse and then walks them through the entire night, like the night of the murders, right? Right. And so as he's explaining it, we're cutting between um, the crew and Leslie, like sitting for an interview, and then— visually seeing Kelly and the other teens at the actual farmhouse. So we're visually oh, already see. seeing what's going Got to happen. It. This is also very Home Alone when he sets, very, he oh, rigs all the traps. Yeah. Absolutely. And so Taylor's like, you know, will you guys never, if someone's hiding in a closet, you always got to walk past, even though it's obviously other than there. Like, why don't you guys just reach in and pull them out? And Leslie says, oh, the closet is a sacred space. It is symbolic of the womb. In the womb, we are innocent. Oh, I love that. And Taylor's That's- like, does that mean you're... Pl- pro-life. <laughs> and uh, he says, you know, I've got a bedroom upstairs. Hopefully a couple will come up and have sex. I will wait for them to begin and then I will kill both of them. Yep. And then I will stage the room to make it look like they're asleep. But I'll just put them on, uh, under the comforter. Right. And basically through the night, he will whittle it down to him and Kelly. So Kelly will be the last woman standing. He has a remote to shut off the power to create confusion. He puts dead batteries in all the flashlights. He... He will be, they will essentially be forced down into the basement to look for the fuse box. So, again, we see Kelly and her friends huh. in his mind's eye, sort of. He's right. like, the jock will be horny. Kelly the virgin will reject him, so he'll take another girl, you know, down into the basement. The floozy. And, and they'll, they'll go to hook up. And when she goes downstairs, uh, Leslie will stab the boyfriend through the chest with a pitchfork, sending the girl running upstairs as, like, sort of the starter gun, creating chaos. 
that gives Leslie time to move the boyfriend's body to the shed, which is also sacred, again, a womb-like space. Mm. Only Kelly is allowed in. And Taylor's like, wow, it's so sadistic, and yet it's so genius. <laughs> Why would you want Kelly to enter the tool shed? And he says, well, to be your first sign of her transformation from victim into heroin. Mm. It's visually manifested when she grabs a big, long, hard weapon. Oh, my goodness. And, and Taylor's okay, all right. <laughs> but Leslie tells her... It's deeply symbolic. She's empowering herself with cock. Yeah. Oh. Now, Will, I hate to even ask, have you ever empowered yourself with cock? Oh, well, you know, I'd, I'd had to think about it. I wish you had given me some right, time yeah. to really uh, think through this. But it's not to the be, first word that comes to mind, you know? <laughs> to be safe, I'll go with a yes. Okay, great. Good, I'm so glad. <laughs> and Alyssa says, look, you see all these serial killings in the past. No woman who ever survived did it with a gun. She has to take an ax. She has to have a post hole digger. She'll be taking my weapon, my manhood, and empowering herself with it. So Taylor's like, okay, great. So you're pro-life and a show for this. And Leslie's like, listen, Tay, it's convention. We have to respect it. They go to the tool, house, tool shed, and Leslie shows Taylor the tools, which he has sabotaged. The sledgehammer head is loose. The axe handle is breakaway. So even the tools that he's having her take, they're going to immediately fall apart. He's basically like, I just, I have hope she doesn't get lucky with the first swing. Because wow. once she swings, it'll fall apart. He's really, says, you know, he's really put in the work to this. Yeah. This is impressive. Um, he also said there's 11 exits on, on the first floor and, or eight, and, eight or nine on the second floor. So he nailed all the windows shut. And she's like, yeah, but wouldn't they just smash the windows with like a chair? And he's like, you know, you'd think so, but no one ever does. They just stand there screaming <laughs> and can't get the window open, which is also true. Very true. Of course, the night of Easter, walking through us, the kids will run out of the house, terrified, into their car, only to find Leslie blocking their path. Of course, both of the cars will be sabotaged. One of the stoners will panic as he tries to start the car. We see Leslie smashing the driver's side window and impaling his head on the glass. And so he says, so what do you think is next, Taylor? And he's like, well, if they run into the bar, they'll try to hide. So you'll be waiting. So you'll have to go to the only place left. And he says, oh, but you're forgetting something. Doc Holleran. Doc Holleran will arrive, and we will have to have a final meeting. And this meeting will slow me down so much that everyone else is dead, and Kelly can escape to the apple orchard. And Will, if the closet is the womb, what is the apple orchard? The apple orchard is the vagina? It, it, you're exactly right. It's yes. the birth canal. Uh, you absolutely nailed oh, it. The, the canal, that makes more sense, yes. Say so the yonic imagery is so important to balance the phallic imagery. Oh, so we yes. have to have both the, the weapon, the phallus, and the, the birth uh, of, as she enters a girl with innocence, and she leaves a woman. Mm. And he says that's the point of it. She, she, her innocence is lost, and she emerges hellbent on revenge. And then she'll go finally to the tool shed to grab the axe. And in the imagining, Taylor, uh, Kelly returns to the house. In reality, Leslie takes Taylor to the apple press, which is full of apples, and he's cranking and crushing the apples. And Taylor says, well, what's this for? And he says, it's to make apple juice, silly. <laughs> She's like, I mean, what is it for tonight when you're killing people? And Leslie says, oh, tonight? Tonight, it's going to hurt somebody. So I got to ask you, Will, as the night falls, who will survive? Who will survive? I do not think Leslie will survive this. Okay. Because someone who has planned this meticulously <laughs> needs to be knocked off the high horse. Yes, absolutely. He's a, he is filled with hubris. He believes he has control. I think this. He should have also learned that from horror movies. Right. If you if you're too arrogant, 
you will get your comeuppance. Correct. Now, what do we think about Taylor? Is she getting out alive? I do not think Taylor will make it out alive because the insanity surrounding (laughs) just the idea of what she's doing cannot go unpunished. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And And then... um, Doug and... Who's the other cameraman? Doug and Todd, unfortunately... Do they protest in this movie at all? I feel like they probably they protest. They do protest more than Taylor. There is some <laughs> yes. protestation typically from Doug, but T- Todd has also put in a few words of this is a terrible idea. Right. It, it, Taylor strikes me very much as the Courtney Cox of the movie, yes. and Todd <laughs> is the is her cameraman, mm-hmm. who unfortunately does not make it, so I do not think they will make it. And I think Kelly but, will survive and— mm-hmm. Because I have forgotten his true name, I'll say Doc Holliday will survive. Great. Perfect. <laughs> Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. The Crooked Store's latest collection has a clear message for anyone trying to take away abortion rights. Don't. The No Trespassing collection features four different designs, each inspired by a different state where abortion is under attack. There's Stay Out of My Swamp for Florida, Stay Out of My Hole for Arizona, Stay Out of My Prickly Pear for Texas, and Stay Out of My Strip for Nevada. But obviously, I'll be wearing these no matter where I am. A portion of proceeds from the collection will go to Vote Save America's F-Bands, the Fight Back Fund, which currently is supporting abortion rights organizations across Arizona, Nevada, and Florida. Head to cricket.com slash store to shop. All right, great. So that night, it's the night of the murders. They, they're at Eugene and Jamie's house, kind of giving them a send-off, and they, they're giving Leslie advice, and Taylor's interviewing them, saying like, well, so how to survive someone like Leslie or Eugene? You know, Jamie says, first of all, Never hang out with a virgin. If you have a virgin in your crew, either get someone in their pants or get the hell away from her. Eugene says, the truth is, like, if you find yourself, you run like a motherfucker and, and you never come back. You do not hide. You do not fight us. You don't come back for anyone. You run, run, run. You go. You pick a point in the distance and you run and you don't look back. That's as the only way out. as the eye can see, just past that. And they're all laughing and Jamie turns to Eugene and like kind of slaps some playful and says, I was fast, wasn't I, Eugene? <gasps> Will, Jamie was Eugene's survivor or final girl. Uh, of course. That's how they met. Of course. And I like that they don't like clarify that. She just makes that one comment and you're like, oh no. But also explains <laughs> like what the age difference, you know. Yeah. Genius. So at the farmhouse, Taylor's interviewing Leslie as he sort of puts on his face. He's like, I always cover myself with a flame retardant. That's why they try to, like, set me on fire, you know. And I imagine a lot of shading like, and contouring. Absolutely. So it looks a little more turtly. And she <laughs> says, like, are you concerned about Doc Halloran? And Taylor says, no, I have to worry about my fate, my longevity. And Taylor says, you're in love with Kelly, aren't you? And he says, well, honestly, I love the idea of her. I love what I hope she finds in herself, you know. I think that I love the person that she'll come out of this as. She says, yeah, what doesn't kill you make, makes you stronger. Oof. And they have like a moment sitting up at the loft, like looking out over the orchard where it's kind of like romantic. And Leslie's like, I'm so happy right now. Like this is my Christmas. And he starts crying. Wow. And Taylor takes his hand and they have a moment like maybe they'll kiss. But Leslie breaks out the moment and he says he's going to take one look around so everyone's sort of waiting upstairs in this big walk-in closet. As the kids arrive downstairs, they're partying, the stoners are smoking, like everyone's making out. 
And Leslie shows up that he took the spark plugs out of the cars. Got it. And he's like, okay, next we're going to have the one of the jocks and his girl will come up and they'll start having sex, which Todd's very jazzed about because he's a pervert. Like Todd's like, oh, yeah. It's like, okay, <laughs> <Pervert>. Todd. <laughs> and we hear the couple walk up the stairs. And then finally Leslie tells the crew, time to dance with the devil and leaps out of the closet with his scythe. And mur- as we listen, he murders the couple. Oh, no. This is the first time that the crew genuinely realizes this is what's going to happen. Right. Which is so interesting. Like, Todd and Taylor and, uh, and Doug are all like, Todd's like, oh, my God, this is actually happening. Doug's like, should I be recording this? And Taylor right. like, starts crying. She's like, I don't know. Like, it's finally hitting them. Like, this is not some weird, like, you're a part of this. Like, Crazy. And that's also another thing where it's like, you're documentarians. You should know this. Like, you should have ethical guidelines. You should have boundaries. And you don't whatsoever. Right. This is the moment the vampire has jumped through the bay window when exactly. they realize. And you're yeah. like, that was, but that was my bay window. <laughs> so Leslie ducks back into the closet and he's so jazzed, but Taylor's like crying and like shoving the camera away and be like, stop filming this. So Leslie forces them out of the window and says, takes them to the back to the van and says, I know that look. You have a, I can't stand here and let this happen look. Mm-hmm. And he takes off his mic and he throws at them and he kind of storms back and he's like, okay, I'm sorry, I yelled. But. <laughs> This is my night. I told you it's my night. Let's be honest. I'm either going to go to jail, I'm going to be killed, or I'm going to have to disappear. We're never going to see each other again. So let's just say our goodbyes now. And then he and Taylor sort of look in each other's eyes, and it's like, look, you don't have to do this. Like, obviously, you're trying to fulfill something within yourself. You don't have to go through with this. And Leslie takes her face in his hands, and it's like, this has nothing to do with what happened to me or where I came from. I would have ended up here no matter what. I, be, I made a choice to be the counterbalance to all these things we hold good and pure. Meanwhile, you chose journalism, okay? This is both <laughs> what we were born to do. And Taylor tells him, goodbye, Leslie. And he goes off, and Doug's filming the house. He's like, I just want to get one last shot. And right on schedule, the power goes off, and Taylor realizes, turn off the camera. We cannot stand here and let this happen. Right. And so they put the cameras out, and then in a fun, really fun, I think, like genre twist— we are now seeing the actual, like, actual movie footage. So before we, everything was documentary, oh. now we're watching a horror movie. Yeah. Okay. Good. And I was like, and now we, and now it's understand like we've gone from me like this is a mockumentary, and now it's like we're watching the actual movie itself. So, so we no Until, longer have Leslie's viewpoints. We're now more that we're the kids yes. experiencing the horror movie. Well, we're we're still with Taylor, Doug, and Todd. It's got more it. like it looks like you're just watching screen. Uh, it does it. not have the we're through a screen. This is first person POV. Understood. This is this is the movie behind the mask, The Rise of Leslie Vernon itself. Love it. So she's like, look, we know what he's going to do. We know how he's going to do it. We can stop him. And Todd and Doug are like, we are not going in there. He's <laughs> going to kill those kids. <laughs> right. I'm not being paid enough. And Taylor's like, look, Kelly can't compete with this. She's 17. Todd's like, well, if she can't beat him, she's not really the survivor girl. And he's like, who the fuck cares yeah. about any of that? <laughs> All that shit he's made up, like, who cares? So finally, she strong arms him into the house. And Todd's like, this is a bad idea, which I don't like that I said, given the circumstances. Yeah. And they enter, and one of the stoners says, I think Kelly is upstairs. And they go upstairs and find Kelly is riding some jock cowgirl style. Oh. And they're all like, oh, my God. With She's her clothes off? She's definitely not a virgin. Her clothes are off, off Will. Fully off. Fully off. She's actually whipping a shirt around her head. Oh, Which is no. not something I imagine a teen girl is actually doing. But the implication <laughs> is not simply this is their first time, but she's been having sex for a long time. She's an old hand. Oh, you Kelly. Know? 
So fine. Kelly screams, who the fuck are you? Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> Understandably. As you would. So the gang runs downstairs and Kelly chases after them, like getting dressed, like, get the fuck out of Who are these people? Yeah. And they round up the stoners in the living room and Taylor tells them, like, there's a man in the basement. It's Leslie Vernon. It's this guy named Leslie Mancuso. They're like, no, no, it's Leslie Vernon. You know, it's like <laughs> yeah. the legend. She's like, no, this is not a prank. But everyone else is like, you're clearly here to scare us. Everyone knows this is the night where people come and stay here. You're being dumb. Yeah. Just then, the girl runs up from the cellar. Her date has been pitchforked to death, just like Leslie said. Mm-hmm. And all the teens fucking freak out. Like, it's totally incoherent. It's chaos. And Taylor kind of pulls Kelly aside to be like, Leslie has been stalking you. He has been watching you. Have you noticed someone at the diner? And she's like, I guess sort of. I don't know. At the library, she's like, oh, my God, that was him. Yeah. And they turn and see Leslie standing outside. Kelly immediately passes out. And everyone's <laughs> like, that's what, not, that's what a survivor girl's not supposed to do. And they, like, put her on the couch. They're trying to, like, sort of wrangle the kids. and the, But the, the, none of the kids are, like, believing it. They're like, how do we know this is real? And they take the teens up to see the, the couple that's dead in the bed. Right. When they get up there, Will, there is no one in the bed. Of course there not. There are no bodies. Of course not. Downstairs, the jock is trying to call Pete, the guy who's just been killed in the basement. No one has any cell service. And Taylor's like, why is Taylor, why is Leslie changing the plan? Like, what is happening? And she realizes, oh, it's he's adjusting for more people. Oh. Now that we're here, he sees that we're a part of this. So now, unfortunately, we are, things, things are going to change around us and we're going to be on the run. Oh, no. Meanwhile, the stoners have wandered outside looking for Leslie. Again, thinking this is a prank or like, you know, some sort of like, well, a ghost or whatever. Fucking stoner Scooby-Doo ass. And they <laughs> they go into the tool shed. And they see what they see what they think is a scarecrow. Of course, it's Leslie. He slashes one across the neck with a scythe. And then he used a post hole digger to stab the other stoner and tear out his heart. Oh, no. Which he puts in his, in his own hand. And so, of course, and so uh, everyone's sort he's of, dead. The one that had his heart ripped this, out. Yes, if you can imagine. I'm not a scientist, <laughs> but you don't see him again. And so I imagine he probably at least needed to rest or recuperate after having his, his heart's totally ripped out. He went to the doctor at the very least. <laughs> so um, everyone runs back into the house panicking, and they're trying to brainstorm with, like, Kelly, the jock, and the other girl, Lauren, who was in the basement. They're like, okay, the car's tires have been slashed. Um, Leslie is outside. And Taylor says, okay, the solution is in the plan. What's next? And they're like, well, it's the cars, but we can't drive them. They're like, well, the van's further out. What if we can get to the van? So they all run out to the the van. Right. Of course, they open the door, and the slaughtered couple from upstairs is inside the van. And they're screaming, and they throw the bodies out. Well, you don't need to—I don't need to tell you. He took the starter out, too. Like, they can't drive the van. Yeah, not a chance. So they're forced back into the house, and they're trying to tell Kelly, like, you have to step up. He's obsessed with you. You're the one who has got to find it. She's like, well, I just work in the diner. Why do I have to do this? And they're like, and she's like, why would he pick me? It's like, she, he thinks all these things about, like, you know, rising to your power. But if he realized that you're not a virgin, he might just kill us all and leave no witnesses. And Kelly's like, so this is my fault for being sexually active? This is bullshit. Yeah, this is not very sex positive, of, which I, I don't exactly. love that, but we'll go with it. And so Kelly's no slouch, though. She's like, fuck it. So she takes a, a chair and she busts out a window. Unfortunately, once she scrambles out, Leslie is there waiting. Of course. So now Kelly is dead. Oh, no. And everyone else runs out the front door and the teens all run to the bar. So now, now the survivor girl is out. So now it's like, who knows what Ooh, he's, his plan is. Chaos. You know? And they're all running and Taylor, Doug, and Todd are running to the barn. And Todd says, fuck this, I'm out of here. And 
what we think is Todd is abandoning them. And Taylor and Doug are like, what are you doing? But what he's really doing, he's leading Leslie away from the teens and from Taylor and Doug. Todd is the hero of this movie. Ugh. And he is the hero we don't deserve. Clever. And he's running in the dark, screaming, you gotta chase me, it's the rules. <laughs> and he falls into the mud of the orchard. Oh. And as Leslie descends on him, Todd like rips off his mask. He's like, it's fucking Todd. I've spent the last month with you, you know me. Nope. But Leslie's face is just completely blank. Yeah. And he snaps Todd's neck. Ugh. He's in killer mode. Yeah. Meanwhile, everyone else runs up into the barn, into the hayloft. And Doug's like, we could have left. Why did we go yeah, back in? What? He was giving us a chance to escape. And the teens are like, what the fuck? Why are you working with this guy? Like, did you know this was going to happen? Why are you following us? And Taylor finally realizes, oh, my God. He knew. He knew before we ever met. That's why he agreed to let me do this. Will, what did Leslie know? Before he even met the documentary crew. He, oh boy, I don't know. He knew something about Taylor's past. He knows something about Taylor, and what might that be? Taylor is a... Is Taylor the actual child of Leslie well, Vernon's parents? Now, that would make more sense, but it, it's just that Taylor is a virgin. Oh, that, oh. And I was like, <laughs> how would he, how would he know that? Yeah, you know how, I mean? how I, would he, how would he I realize mean, that? Like a Notre Dame virgin, remember those where they'd be like, "Oh, exactly. a backdoor on, virgin." Only in the butt. I, yeah, the actual, yeah, the, it, it blowjobs an anal, totally fine. <laughs> and the implication is that Taylor is one of these old school, like totally lay virgins, oh, like which full. I guess that's also what old school virgins were actually. Now that <laughs> now that we're thinking about it, but it's so funny because like before Taylor even says it, both Lauren the teen and then the jock are like, "Oh my god, you're totally a virgin!" <laughs> I fucking, I we should have, I knew what it says. I saw you. You're the virgin. <laughs> And so Lauren begs her, like, tell me what happens to me. And they're like, oh, I got bad news for everybody who is not me. Yeah. They all hear banging and they're running to hide. And they hide behind the door of the barn. And Todd picks up a shovel and the door flies open and he swings it. And, of course, he knocks Doc Halloran out cold. Of course. So Doc Halloran had just arrived to help them. He is now unconscious. <laughs> the teens scream and run back up to the hayloft where they are promptly butchered by a waiting Leslie. Of course. And— the, he then comes after Taylor and Doug, and Doc Halloran comes to just in time to grab his scythe in his hand to stop him. But it's too late. He stabs Doc Halloran in the chest as Taylor and Doug scramble for an exit. And finally, Doug realizes he has to sacrifice himself to let Taylor live. And he oh, turns, no. his, stands his ground, he says, Leslie, I love Taylor. So if you want her, you have to go through me. And Leslie reaches out and just smashes Doug's head into the wall, knocking him out cold and just walks past him. He's like, I don't care. Yeah. Oh. But of course, Taylor runs to the tool shed and gets finds Todd's dead body and finds an axe. She grabs it. She runs into the apple orchard. Of course, the, the vaginal birth of the right. heroine. Yeah. And she's screaming, it's just you and me now, Leslie. Come the fuck out. I'm not afraid of you. And she takes out, she like pulls off her blood soaked sweater. So she just has like a little bit of a tank top on. Oh, yeah, uh -huh. And she says, Come get some. It's early 2000s. So a tiniest of tank tops. Exactly. The spaghettiest of these are angel hair pasta straps. <laughs> They're sort of chasing each other through the orchard and it's dark. And Leslie lunges out of the darkness and Taylor's able to slash him across the stomach, huh. knocking him to the ground. But then the head of the axe flies off. Of so she was able to get him a little bit. But when she turns around, after scrambling to pick up the axe, Leslie's body is gone. And he starts chasing her. And she, they sort of, again, chase each other through the orchard. He makes it to the uh, shed with the apple press. He throws open the door. He's slowly looking for her. When a huge hook on a rope, like you have at a of farm, course, I don't know. yeah. 
swings out of the darkness, knocking him down, and Taylor lunges at him. But of course, Leslie is stronger and has been like, again, doing serial killer CrossFit. And he starts choking her on the ground. Things are looking grim until Taylor is able to reach out and grab his scythe from his back pocket and stabs him in the axe wound in the stomach. Oh, no. And as he's screaming, she leaps up and she hauls him over to the apple press and puts his head under the apple press and starts turning the crank Uh. until she hears a crunch. And we hear Leslie tell her, Taylor, I knew you were the one. And she screams as she crushes his head. Oh, my God. And then howling, she douses the shed with gas and sets it alight. As we watch the fire consume the farm, Doug grabs Taylor from behind, and we see not only has Doug survived, which makes sense, he was only knocked out, yeah. but he's carrying the wounded Doc Halloran. He still has a wound, but he's alive. And oh. Doug and Taylor embrace, and he says, is he? And Taylor says, I don't know what he is. And as they watch the flames, Doc Halloran says, just a man. He's just a man. And then they watch as the entire farm burns in the night. Oh, my God. The end. Wow. Are we supposed to believe that Taylor checked that Leslie was truly crushed by this apple press? To me, the ending implies that we do, we do not know. We do not know. And we okay. cannot know. Which makes and sense in the genre, so. Absolutely. And I think that, um, you know, I think they probably had hopes for a sequel, yeah. which I think is sort of fun. But, you know, it's never too late. It's never too late, I think. No. Um, and then finally, um, what are some fatal mistakes that you think that any of the uh, people in this movie made? I don't know, let's say here maybe Taylor or her cameraman. Oh, boy. Fatal mistakes. I would say that agreeing to be involved in a project that Features a serial killer is a huge mistake. Yes. Mm-hmm. I also think being those teenagers and not just mad dashing into the woods as soon as you realize something is amok. Mm-hmm. Like myself being a teenager who is actually flabbergasted when I made it into my <laughs> 20s because I just assumed we would all be part of some sort of serial killer. Mm-hmm. I was always planning to just book it. Yeah, there are a lot of moments in the house where it's like, if somebody, and and I do think they do a good job of being like, you can't just run out of the house at a certain point. Right. But there are definitely some like milling around some moments where like, I don't believe you. That I I couldn't be me. I would immediately be like, okay. Now the question, can you immediately run out? That That's more dubious. But I also want to say that I think a huge mistake, Doc Halloran's misunderstanding of the law. Um, again, <laughs> yes. even if you have, I've never had a restraining order, but my understanding is it's more of the proximity. It's about contacting a specific person. Right. You're allowed to call the police and and report suspicious things. You could call other people and have them do it. Um, I, I think actually as a psychiatrist, you're uh, obligated to do it if right. somebody has homicidal instincts. Again, I don't know the laws in Reno, Nevada. Maybe they're different. But I, uh, I think that he really <laughs> whiffed this one. I think this is his fault. And the fact that he died, I, I mean, I'm glad for him, but um, Todd did more for these people than Doc Halloran did. Yeah, Todd, again, was the real, the real hero here. And then finally, where would you place behind the mask, colon, the rise of Leslie Vernon on the spooky scale, which, of course, is a scale of one to ten screams, measuring only the spookiness of a film, not whether or not we enjoyed it? A spooky scale. On the spooky scale, I would put this 
at a solid four because it sounds more like a whatever the phrase for a comedy horror would be. Yeah, a horror comedy. Yeah, it's, yeah. I think absolutely. Yeah, I'm going to give it a four as well. I think the twist really hit me when I first saw it. I thought that was yeah. so fun. And the actual killings are pretty gory. But I think you're you're having more fun with playing with the um, tropes of the genre. Right. Which, you know, I love. I love a horror comedy. Oh. But I agree. It's definitely not just designed for scares. Right. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I'm thinking of when you and I saw The Conjuring together, which I would put at a solid 15. <laughs> and comparing it to that, this is definitely a four or a five. So I agree with you. Great. And um, with that... Um, Thank you, Will, so much. This was such a pleasure. I'm so glad that we had you on, and you're one of my dearest friends. And your encouragement, Will always text me, be like, what another great episode. I love the podcast so much. And I'm going to do that when I listen to this one. So I really appreciate it. Of course. I I am so proud of you. But most importantly, (laughs) I hope you are very proud of yourself because that's— Oh, thank you. That's the important part. But I love these episodes, and I cannot wait— to be involved in this way. I'm so excited. Thank you so much. You're part of the canon. If there's ever a wiki, you will have an entry in it. Uh, And I look forward to having slowly every single one of our mutual friends on this podcast (laughs) over time because we'll never stop doing this. I will be doing this until I die. um, I sure hope so. 80 years from now. Yeah, 80 80 to 90 years from now when we are— Yeah, I'm going to live— 118. Yeah. yeah, I was going to say, no. Yeah. Well, oh, well 80, you're going to be 102. But. Yeah, 80 years from now, we'll both be 102. So. Yeah, <laughs> so we got that going for us. <laughs> All right. Well, in the meantime, everyone, thank you so much for listening. And please, you can say it with me, Will, if you want. Oh, I can? This is huge. Yes, of course. I cannot believe right, this. Please. Please. All right. Keep, keep it, it spooky. spooky. Gorgeous. <laughs> Love you. Love you too. Ruined is a Radio Point production with executive producers Alex Bach, Sabrina Fonfetter, and Houston Snyder. Recorded and edited by Kat Iosa. Mm-hmm.